Welcome to Parents Perspective. What are you doing? Stacy asked her daughter. 11-year-old Megan was busy emptying the contents of her piggy bank into a large envelope. Oh, she looked up brightly. I'm giving Myra the money for this cool jacket she's ordering for me online. From where online? What company? Stacy asked. I don't know, Megan replied. We all just saw it on her laptop, and a lot of us are going to order it. It's just so cool. But, Stacy began to stammer, but you need to know something about where this is coming from. It could be just a scam. Don't worry, Mom. I've seen a jacket just like it in that online video last weekend. It's so awesome. From a parent's perspective, what should we know about advertising to kids in cyberspace? I'm Sandy Burt. And I'm Linda Perlis. Our guest has visited with Parents Perspective before and is well aware of what's going on in the world of advertising aimed at children. Dr. Michael Brody is a board-certified practicing adult and child psychiatrist. He's chair of the media committee of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, liaison to the American Academy of Pediatrics, Public Education Council, and Adjunct Professor of American Studies at the University of Maryland, where he teaches a course on perspectives in popular culture. He's also chair of the Celebrity Section of the Popular Culture Association, and he was one of the key advocates in the creation of the Children's Television Section of the 1996 Telecommunications Act. Dr. Brody is the father of two grown sons. Welcome back to Parents Perspective. Good to be here. What would you say is the biggest difference between the media ads we were all exposed to as kids on radio and TV and those youngsters are seeing online today? Well, I'm currently involved in writing a book called Seductive Screens, and it really shows how the difference of uh, what shaped children's media now as opposed to the past, certainly economics, where we went or my generation went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars uh, in advertising to children to now a billion dollars. And there's billions of dollars to be made in terms of the children's market. It's a huge children's market, and it goes from adolescence to even preschool. There's this thing called age compression where they constantly want to get younger and younger children involved in buying online and being part of online. Just a few weeks ago, Mark Zuckerberg, the head of Facebook, who's going to come out in uh, the spring with his company going public on the stock exchange valued at $100 billion, has said that he is going to make war on the COPA Act, Now, the COPA Act is something that I participated in in the late 90s. It's the Children's Online Privacy and Protection Act, where kids below the age of 13 are not allowed to go online and to go to websites without their parents' uh, permission. Because when they go online, they start sharing financial information. The website asks the kids questions. They use what's called cookies to trace back to the kid's computer. That's one of the reasons I got involved with this whole children's media idea in the late 90s when I found out that on the Batman website, if the kids visited the Batman website, they would ask the kids a number of questions like their birthday, where they live, and so forth, and then they would 
have come back and say, happy birthday, Billy. Have you seen the new Joker watch? To me, this is very unfair to do with the seven or eight-year-olds, this whole business with the cookies and this tracing, which of course goes on with us as adults. But with children, there's a certain diminished capacity about financial issues. It's very unfair. But Mark Zuckerberg now has said that he wants children to be allowed to be on Facebook. Consumers Union has stated that there's more than 8 million children on Facebook already, illegally. They're not supposed to be on. At the same time, Mark Zuckerberg has tripled the number of lobbyists he has in Washington. And he has actually said, I'm going to try to destroy this act because he wants kids to be sharing financial information and sharing what they want and so forth. So economics is a big issue in terms of what's then and now. Another big issue is psychology. It used to be if a child's program was entertaining, let's say I'm going to date myself like Hopalong Cassidy, let's say, uh, you know, you bought the lunchbox. The lunchbox came after the program and the entertainment or the Howdy Doody Watch or whatever. Now they will only create children's programs if there's merchandise to sell. The merchandise is decided first. George Lucas understood this in the 70s at the same time the strawberry shortcake came out. They invented the doll and then they invented the program to sell the doll. George Lucas invented the toys, then he produced Star Wars. And George Lucas has always said, I am a toy maker, I am not a film director. So this is the way children's television has been done. It's a new, uh, again, economic and psychological way of selling to kids. Also, they have focus groups with kids now to see which dolls and so forth are more appealing. And believe it or not, they're actually using PET scans and MRIs to see which parts of the brain are stimulated in terms of children's programming and in terms of selling. So you have the economics, the psychology, and of course you have the technology, which is just so different. First of all, Kids used to watch television maybe between 5 and 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Now with cable, it's 24-7. I mean, kids get up in the middle of the night and could watch the Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon or Disney at any hour. And certainly with VCR, you know, DVRs, you could, kids could watch. And kids have video DVD players. And now even little kids, you see them walking around with iPads, okay, Older kids, it's worse for them to be separated from their smartphones than from their cars at this point. They're very into their smartphones. So the whole idea, the perfect storm of these things, economic psychology and technology has created a completely different medium in terms of children's entertainment. And of course, it's called show business. No business, no show. And it's a big, big business. I mean, it's not a shock that the Muppet movie comes out just before Christmas. The merchandise involved. And again, you cannot have a show unless you have the merchandise. One of my favorite shows, and I 
later became friends with the producer and actually helped them with it, was Wishbone, which was a lovely show on PBS. It, it, it inspired reading. They had adults. There was a moral story. But they only produced it for a year because there was just Wishbone, the one dog. If Wishbone would have had some friends and so forth so they could make more of these dolls, it would have been fine. Very different than the Teletubbies, which is just an awful program. But the fact is that there's three of them. There's these other characters, and you can merchandise. Without merchandise, you cannot have a children's media show. We'll take a short break now and be right back to continue our discussion on cyberspace advertising aimed at children. The popular book, Raising a Successful Child, Discover and Nurture Your Child's Talents, by Sandra Burt and Linda Perlis is available at all major bookstores and on the web. Welcome back to Parents Perspective. We are talking with Dr. Michael Brody about cyberspace advertising for children. How early, then, is it appropriate for kids to go online considering once they're online, it's the Pandora's box? Again, as I said, the COPA bill was designed so that children wouldn't be able to go online and leave information that's out there. I think below the age of 13, kids shouldn't, I think even teenagers shouldn't have online access in their bedroom. Parents should have some idea of what their kids are looking at online. I mean, again, being raised with a generation and telling and our kids in a generation of don't talk to strangers, you're talking to strangers out there. I don't think it's necessary that they're predators that they're going to get their hands on you, although unfortunately that happens too, very rarely. Uh, but the fact is, is that the financial influence and the consumerism and the push to buy more and more stuff is part of the online experience, especially for younger children. Of course, there's other dangers. There's uh, the dangers of the uh, violent type. Some of the ads are very violent. They actually use violence in the ads. It's unhealthy in terms of what they show in terms of drug abuse. Kids could get online and learn how to become anorexic. There's hate sites. And, of course, you know, one of the more common things is this whole thing about kids using the Internet for cyberbullying, which is very unfortunate. We only hear the more spectacular things which lead to a suicide or something like this. But this goes on on a daily basis in most communities. Uh, again, as a youngster, used to pass notes or used to say things behind people's backs or later on talk about them on the telephone. Now you put something on the internet, it could go to a hundred or a thousand people immediately. It's a very simple thing to go viral with certain horrible messages about people, especially with teenagers. They're very vulnerable. You know, it's a very hard age to go through, not just the physical and the psychological things and all the tasks you're going through, but cognitively, the way you feel about yourself. And if people are making fun of the way you look and so forth, you know, body image is self-image, and it creates a lot of this problem, but it could be very intimidating. It could be very intimidating. I think parenting has always been the most important and the toughest job any adult could have. But this sounds like the parents are desperately needed in terms of some kinds of controls. How do we immunize our children against these outreach 
tools in technology. Well, I think you're correct. And I think one of the hardest jobs as a parent is to know how much slack to give your kids. I was going to say rope, but that would be a bad, <laughs> bad pun. But you have to know how much, you know, you have to know when you could leave your kids alone. You have to know when you could leave your kids with each other. You know, when could they go to the mall by themselves? And I think the same thing has to do in terms of the handling of media. It has to do with the individual child in terms of their maturity and their degree of responsibility. But there has to be input, definitely has to be input from parents. Modeling is very important. I mentioned the Muppet movie earlier. When I went to see the Muppet movie, I did go with some of my nieces and nephews who were very young. And it was a daytime and there were a lot of kids in the movie and I thought it was going to add to, at that same time, mess up my experience of watching the movie. But that's not, the kids didn't do that. The kids weren't screaming out. What was disruptive to the movie? The number of cell phone lights that went on. Parents would had a look at their cell phones during the movie. I guess they got bored at certain points and it was like lit up like I was at a rock concert like they were lighting candles uh, you know and it was very disruptive years ago when I saw very young children I attributed some of the fact that the kids were getting better some of the kids got better to the fact that they were alone in the car with their parents and there was a time that they were captured that no longer exists. You have your kid in the car with you. You're talking on the phone. The kid's playing with their iPhone. Technology is wonderful for a lot of things, but it's become very, very isolating. But again, it points out the modeling aspect. It's, you know, if you come home and turn the TV on right away, you turn the computer on, you get your phone messages. I mean, the kids see it and they follow suit. They learn that, you know, this is the first thing you do. You pay attention to your technology. And unfortunately, this displaces a lot of other activities, primarily real play. What kinds of skills can parents promote that are especially relevant to critical thinking in connection with this onslaught that the kids are exposed to? As far as I'm concerned, for young children, there is nothing more important than play, real play. Not play, again, talking about the media and online experience and talking about scripted toys, toys that come with their own story already, you know, so kids will just reenact the story. I'm talking about blocks and crayons and etch-a-sketch and Play-Doh. And parents, you know, as the educators should realize that when kids are playing, they're telling a story. You watch a kid at play alone or with other kids, they're telling a story. And it's a story that's very, very relevant to them. I remember looking at my older son. They had a one-way mirror at the uh, nursery school where he was. You may be familiar with that nursery school. And looking through the one-way mirror and seeing him and two other kids take a baby doll and place the baby doll in the oven. <laughs> take the baby doll out of the oven. And me as a child, yeah, yes, me as a child psychiatrist, I couldn't quite understand it. It took me a couple of beats. And then I said to the teacher when she came out, I said, are those firstborns also, the two kids with David? And they said, that's right. And Jonathan was just born a few weeks before. So he was working this out. This is the way he was 
working out his feelings <laughs> about this, which what kids do. They work out different traumas. Certainly the birth of a sibling is a trauma. They work out things they don't understand. You're not getting this if you're sitting in a dark room and watching a video. You mentioned the point earlier about critical thinking. Computers don't help you develop critical thinking. You have to problem solve and learn how to do this and go through the difficulty yourself and, uh, and, and understand uh, that's what's on the surface. Sometimes it's really what's implied that's important, and you have to learn that sometime. We'll take a short break now and be right back to finish our discussion on cyberspace advertising aimed at children. Parents' Perspective needs you, your feedback, your opinions, and not least, your donations that help with the cost of producing this award-winning program. Visit us online at www.parentsperspective.org and click on to Give Direct, iGive, or eBay at Mission Fish. Please help us continue to help you. Thank you. Welcome back to Parents Perspective. We're talking with Dr. Michael Brody about cyberspace advertising aimed at children. Yesterday, we got a message online that we loved, Sandy and I. It was about the most important toys that children could have. The first one was a stick. There were toilet paper and paper towel tubes, the cardboard tubes, dirt. I can't remember the fourth box. one. <laughs> cardboard a box. box. The box that the toys come in. Again, going back to what we're discussing about ads, the ads are so insidious and parents feeling guilty because, again, parenting is very different. One parent isn't at home the way it used to be, so people feel guilty. They're not home with the kids. We've got to buy them stuff. And they buy them stuff that lights up and has batteries. For, and for a few minutes. Performs all by itself. <laughs> for about 10 yeah, minutes. Right. Yeah. And that's not a toy. It's not a toy. And on the other side of it, if it says education on it, it must be terrific. It's a good thing. What's interesting is that insidious business of it's going to be educational still oh, yeah. seems to be going on. I just bought some stuff that has Velcro on it that you can hang from crib sides or other things, very soft, colorful stuff for a new baby. And I bought it even though somebody had decided in their wisdom to put on the cardboard promotes hearing. <laughs> promotes <laughs> hearing, you know. So how do we have the conversation with our kids, whatever age, to help them sort out what's being thrown at them? You could watch any TV or any film or anything. If a parent watches with a child and engages in a discussion, not only in the content of what's going on, you know, again, in olden times, the only media kids had were fairy tales. And some of the fairy tales are absolutely brutal. But the parent is reading the story. So the parent could decide what to leave out of the story and what to leave in the story. With the media, it's very hard to do that. Years ago, when I used to do film reviews for this NPR show, I used to bring a jacket. I did this with my younger nephew. I would take him to the movie, so-called G-rated movie, which of course it wasn't. And based on what was going on, I would throw a jacket over his head about something <laughs> he, shouldn't, he shouldn't see. So, so if you went to the movies with Uncle Mike, you got 
uh, the big popcorn, the but you also got the jacket over your head. So I don't know how much I've traumatized him since then, but he seems to be doing all right. He seems to be doing all right. But if you're a parent and you're sitting with your child through anything, you could explain and you certainly could explain and do some media literacy in terms of the commercials and what they mean and how this is not really the way it is and what they're really trying to make you do and why these shows are produced. I think that also goes for why we should have the computer in a Public prominent place, place yes. in the house, not in the child's bedroom. Yeah. The um, Academy of Pediatrics, one of the other things we've come up with, you, know, you shouldn't have TVs in the bedroom also. Right. And they've shown over and over again with studies, even the kids that go outside and play, if you watch a certain number of hours of television, you're going to gain weight. Because most of the commercials are not just about toys, they're about snacks. And you get hungry. And you have to eat. And the selling of this stuff, is, uh, particularly online, is just unbelievable. In June, I attended this conference at the White House about online advertising to adolescents. And they show this thing that's on a website. I think it's for Fritos or Cheetos or something. And it's about a mental hospital. And the psychiatrist comes in with a, uh, a chainsaw. And, you know, they asked me to comment. And before I commented, of course, I said I very rarely use a chainsaw in my practice. <laughs> but, but it was just to get the attention of the teenager, it, just to entertain. And then they bring in the Cheetos. But these subliminal messages that are used and their ability to connect and the ads come up online and the teenagers are very vulnerable to buying stuff and the way they look and so forth. And they're a very, very big, big market. It really sounds like the approach has to be on the parents. We have to educate the parents in some way because a 10-year-old can't go out and buy a smartphone. That's right. But more and more 10-year-olds have smartphones. And it's put in the guise of, uh, it's always, there's one statement that's always made mm -hmm. for emergencies. Mm -hmm. I want you to have a smartphone for emergencies. It, I know this is terrible, but it reminds me a lot about the guns. People want to keep guns in their house. Just uh, to, in case. Just in case and to protect them. Yeah. Yet every year, thousands, thousands of people are killed by the guns in their own house, not from robbers breaking in. In some ways, these smartphones are Trojan horses. I had a little $15 phone. My phone broke, and it wasn't time yet on our contract to get a new phone, but I had to have a cell phone, so I paid $15, and I got this little phone, and it could do a lot of things. I was kind of surprised, but I thought a simple little phone like that where you can program in only the emergency numbers, that's all a kid really needs. But the kids are but they don't sitting want there that. playing you know, which is another form of online advertising that's, to me, uh, very tricky. You know, these games, these interactive games that where they use the uh, ads, it's very, you know, come and play our games for free. Do but you, then there's eight ads that come up. Do you see a role for schools in all this technology problem? Well, there's been controversy, you know. Some schools have gotten the vending machines out of the schools, there was the issue of those news programs, the private news programs that they would show to the classes that also had a number of ads. There were programs on the school buses 
the school systems are suffering. So any income that they could get, and you have a captive audience, so some commercial interests have used this to have ads. And certainly, it's no longer Bird Stadium. It's Capital City Stadium. I mean, the labeling of the college facilities. Last night, I was at the Comcast Center at the University of Maryland. It's not named after somebody. It's named after a company. So they're heavily involved in the schools. The other sad thing about the schools in terms of talking about cyberspace and online activity is the fact that they convinced a lot of school systems that you need computers to teach. I used to call it the carton syndrome. I used to go around D.C. and some of the schools. The computers weren't even taken out of the cartons. They spent millions of dollars. In order to have computers in a school, like the school that my wife teaches at, you have IT people. They have two IT people to not only uh, fix what's going on, the glitches, but also to do the training. You can't just get a computer. It's not going to make kids smart. And of course, this takes away from the teacher-student ratio, which I think this is the way kids learn. I've asked the kids in my class about some of the online courses. They say it's terrible. It starts off as a great idea because they don't have to go to the class and they could do it whenever they want, but it's terrible. They're not getting it. And that's more and more the way things are going because the budgets keep shrinking and it's very cheap to do. You don't need bricks and classrooms and heat and electricity uh, to do this. Or human interaction. <laughs> yeah, which is so important learning. in terms of learning. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a conversation that could go on for hours because there's <laughs> okay. so much to talk about. But okay. before we go, what resources, Dr. Brody, would you suggest for our listeners who want to explore some of these ideas further? Well, I think my own organization, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, we have a website. We talk about some of these issues. The American Academy of Pediatrics certainly has a, a website, and there's a lot about this. I think your listeners are way ahead of the game because they're listening to your show. You bring up issues like this, and they pay attention and may stimulate them to look into what's really going on out there. But those are the resources that I I would. And hopefully by next year, you could read my book called Seductive Screens. Well, you have been a wonderful resource for us and our listeners. So Dr. Michael Brody, thank you so much for being with us and helping to discuss this whole business about advertising to kids in cyberspace. Very happy to be here and see you both. The best way to get in touch with Parents Perspective is to email us at parentsper at gmail.com. Our first listener will receive an autographed copy of Dr. Brody's book, Messages, Self-Help Through Popular Culture. Just email us at parentsper at gmail.com and give us your name and snail mail address and mention show number 495. Also, tell us, if you can, what station you're tuning into. Visit our website, www.parentsperspective.org, where you can even listen to a show of your choice. Or check us out at facebook.com slash parentsperspective. This is Sandy Burt and Linda Perlis. We're glad you could share Parents Perspective. Today's program was made possible with generous support from the Adele M. Thomas Charitable Foundation. Parents Perspective Incorporated is a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, and the show is made possible by your financial support. Thank you for your contributions.
Donations can be made online through GiveDirect or iGive.com or MissionFish at eBay, or you can send checks or money orders to Parents Perspective Incorporated, Post Office Box 42283, Washington, D.C., 20015. Our sound engineer is Kent Hitchcock. Music for this program was composed and performed by Jonathan Burt.